This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And as you know, we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, we're going to mix things up a little bit. That's right. You know, we're still staying close to home, trying to stay safe and do our part during this coronavirus pandemic. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So, so Jamie, if you would, imagine something for me. Okay. It's been a long day out hiking backpacking, you name it. And now it's time to relax. We've pitched our tent, settled into a campsite for the night. The sun is starting to slowly lower on the horizon, and it's about time to build ourselves a campfire. I love it, Jim. Now, once we've built up our campfire and got some food into our stomachs, all we have left to do for the rest of the night is gaze into the fire till it's time to sleep. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds great. But Jim, I do think you are missing one really important component here. What's that? campfire stories. You know, we all like to have our adventures outside and then retell these stories around the campfire to each other. It's like a human tradition. And I think that we should continue this virtually via the podcast. Yeah, I like where you're going with this, Jamie. Today's episode is the first in a series of campfire stories. You know the type where we rattle off some of our best tales uh, from our travels over the years. So whether it's a brush with some moose story that Jamie's going to tell in a future episode, or an outdoor epic, something that we're both plenty familiar with at this point. We're going to fill the next few episodes of the podcast with one thing, and that's good stories from the outdoors, or at least our best rendition of them. And we want to hear yours too. You can now call us and tell us a favorite outdoor story and we will possibly put it here on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. And you can now, if you've got a pen and paper handy, which you probably don't, but we'll relay the number and the email address again at the end of the show, you can reach our voicemail line, our podcast hotline, which has a good ring to it, at 503-221-4345. So it's, again, 503-221-4345. Or record a voice memo on your phone. It's easy. Email it to podcasts at oregonian.com again podcasts at oregonian.com and jamie what do you think uh let's say keep it to three minutes or less and we might feature it as a future story well jim why don't we go ahead and get started with a couple of stories of our own all right my friend i suppose unless you have any qualms i will take it away kick it off jim all right so my story begins on labor day weekend 2017 
Jamie, not to give anything away, but off the top of your head, do you remember what happened on Labor Day weekend 2017, your your Oregon trivia? Yes, I sure do remember what happened that holiday weekend. Well, since you do, maybe let's keep that info to yourself for the time being. Okay, so my story begins early on a Saturday morning, driving out with a couple of my friends, guys named Powers and Frank, to try to climb Mount Adams, which is the second highest peak in Washington State, second to only Mount Rainier. And we made our way out toward the mountain, picked up some, I think they're called volcano passes or something like that, but essentially our permits, and planned to climb a good portion of the way up the mountain and camp roughly at a place called Lunch Counter, which is a collection of, if I remember it correctly, places where folks can spend the night on their way up Mount Adams. It kind of situates you at the foot of the maybe biggest portion of the climb or most intense portion of the climb, kind of to a false summit called, I believe, Piker's Peak. And we happened to, because we are gluttons for punishment, my buddy Frank and I brought up skis and a snowboard, uh, respectively. <laughs> Wait, what? So you're to, gonna, are you going to climb it and then like ski down it? That was the plan, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Frank and I have, in the past, and myself currently, tried to do the crazy quest of skiing each month out of the year. So 12 months straight and beyond. We decided, for whatever reason, that it would be a reasonable idea to bring myself at the time a split board and for Frank his skis up the mountain. So Mount Adams is a snowy mountain with a bunch of glaciers, but not the best time, Jamie, as you can imagine, to ski this mountain. A lot of the snow is melted. The snow that you can reach probably isn't going to be in the greatest condition. Needless to say, people are looking at us kind of like, what the heck? Why do you have skis with you right now? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And in retrospect, this was very much like a beginner's move here. No one else is bringing up or very few people are bringing up skis and snowboards onto the mountain at this time of year. So we get up to lunch counter, a little bit above lunch counter, find ourselves a nice, I believe it was like sand or dirt campsite, kind of amid patches of snow and kind of a nice rocky outcropping that had been built, you know, with loose rocks, kind of a wind shelter, if you will, by previous parties. And we set up camp, make some food, and we take ourselves a nice little sunset ski, ski and snowboard trip just alongside our campsite. It was absolutely gorgeous out. The sun was setting, but Jamie, there was a little bit of troublesome sign on the horizon. We saw some smoke wafting up from out in the Columbia River Gorge. Uh And part of my job as a, a news reporter, in addition to kind of the outdoor stuff I do, is to cover wildfires in the summer. And I knew that there was a relatively small wildfire that had been burning in the Columbia River Gorge. Not a big threat to anything much. But as the night went on, the smoke grew and grew to the point where I was questioning, my gosh, is Cascade Locks on fire? The smoke was enormous. And because of the fact that we were out of cell phone range, we had no idea what was going on. We woke up next morning, we continued our climb, and we summited essentially to a a view of nothing. Normally, you could see Mount Rainier, you could see Mount Hood, you could see maybe even up to Mount Baker, northern Washington. And it was great, but we couldn't see much of anything. I don't even think we could see Mount Hood or Mount St. Helens. And by this point, the smoke is set in fairly thick. We descend the mountain and we drive on out of there, down this bumpy dirt road, back into civilization. 
and we drive through the Columbia River Gorge. And by this point, I'm able to hop on my phone. And you remember this time well. Oh, yeah. The news was rapidly moving at the same rate this fire was. And what we now know as the Eagle Creek Fire, kind of an infamous nearly 49,000 acre wildfire. Sounds about right. Any Oregonian knows this fire. It was a humongous threat to communities in the gorge. It was a fire that obviously burned up a lot of recreation areas that folks know and love and changed the landscape of the gorge forever. We're driving back toward Portland, and I'm thinking, my gosh, this is historic. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. We were driving on State Route 14 on the Washington side and just watching a wall of flames. So heartbreaking. It was terrifying and, and just maddening and You know, we didn't know any of the circumstances at that point, but I knew, you know, kind of given my job that this was going to be something I was going to be covering for quite some time. And and I ended up doing just that. I covered the fire for multiple months, kind of went through all the twists and turns, wrote a story the next year for the anniversary, wrote a story about how firefighters saved the Multnomah Falls, you know, famous lodge there. And always go back to the fact that I first learned of this or first saw this fire from thousands of feet up a volcano. And I'll never forget kind of the feeling of what it was like to have no idea what was going on and no way to learn that information. Just kind of marooned up a peak. It was something else, Jamie, and, and something I won't ever forget. That's an amazing story, Jim. That view you have from on top of the mountain where it sounds like it was just all smoke, all you could see. That's wild. Yeah, it was something else. I mean, it wasn't like being in a cloud or anything like that where, you know, we've been in the situations in the outdoors where kind of the clouds roll in and it's a thick fog and you can't see anything. It wasn't like that, but there was no long view. There was no, oh, wow, look at the scenery up here. It was very much just wildfire smoke. And obviously, it was just a unique window into a really harrowing event from such a vantage point and to not have any idea what was going on down there. That's wild, Jim. Jeez. (laughs) Maybe a somber first campfire story for us, but... Well, you know, sometimes campfire stories are somber. And I think that's... It's really, you know, beautiful, too, what you witnessed and how you witnessed it. That's such a unique vantage point. Yeah, it was very bizarre going from, you know, we were on this climb and there was no sign of any kind of danger or anything awry in any major way. And by the time we were done, just reentering the world to a wall of flames on the Oregon side of the gorge and driving back to Portland, knowing that that landscape was not going to be the same or at least drastically altered for the time being. Man, well, Jim, thanks for sharing that story. That's that's something that like I'll never forget now about that just that image of the fire from on top of the mountain. That's wild. I'll find a photo that we took from up there and post it in the show notes as well. Jamie, enough about me. I want to hear your story right after a quick break. All right, folks, we are back with the first installment of our Campfire Stories series. Say that 10 times fast. I just told mine about the Eagle Creek Fire and how I first learned of that blaze in 2017. Jamie, what do you have for us? Jim, I have a tale of adventure from the Enchanted Valley. Have you ever heard of the the Enchanted Valley? So I've heard of it, but I haven't been there. And I mean... 
let's just be honest. It sounds way cool. Yeah. Uh, just name. from the name. Great yeah. name. This is up in Olympic National Park uh, along the Quinault River. And I had never been to Olympic National Park. So in May of 2018, I decided to take a trip up to Olympic to do a bunch of different stuff, starting off with a backpacking trip up to the Enchanted Valley, which it just looked incredibly beautiful. So I started off on this trail, the East Fork Quinault River Trail. From there, it's about 13 and a half miles to get to the Enchanted Valley itself, which is for me a fairly long trip. But I, you know, I've done it before. I felt pretty confident about it and I took off on it. One thing I did not consider though when doing this backpacking trip was the bear canister. Jim, Ooh. I know you and I have talked about bear canisters before. For those who don't know, it is basically a big plastic container that you put your food in that bears cannot get into. And it's really useful and necessary when you're going up to places like the Enchanted Valley, which is known for its population of black bears. However, it also adds like an extra, I don't know, two or three or depending on how much food you have in it, maybe up to five or six pounds to your pack, which is a lot when you're backpacking at long distance. And I'll say, Jamie, it's not as much the weight as it is the bulk. Yeah. It's just a bizarrely shaped object to either fit on top of or inside of your pack. It's big. Yeah, you kind of have to put it towards the top of your pack in order for it to really fit anywhere that makes sense. So I had this kind of bulky pack, and I'm by myself because I usually you know, go on these trips by myself. So all of the camping gear, the cooking gear, all of that I'm carrying on my back along with this bear can. So I go up the trail, and it's a beautiful day. Blue skies, nice and warm. The sun is out. It's just a, an incredible day out there. But as I'm passing people, we make kind of the conversation of the trail, whether it's rangers or other backpackers. You know, we keep talking about where we're going, what our plans are. And when I tell people I'm hiking to the Enchanted Valley, one after another, they keep responding with, like, surprise. And they say <laughs> things like, wow. One guy said, wow, you're an animal. And I was like, really? I didn't think so. I thought this was a pretty normal thing people did. I just kind of, you know, shook off their comments and kept going up there. It's not a particularly steep hike. I think it's about 1,800 feet elevation gain in all. But still, again, with the bear canister, and I had a telephoto lens with me to photograph the bears, which is, if you're not familiar, a very heavy lens. So I had just a lot of weight on my back. And by the time I was getting like 10 miles in, I was really starting to feel the weight. My feet were hurting. My knees were starting to hurt. And it was really, really tough. I get up there, though, as the trail kind of emerges into the Enchanted Valley, it is, I swear to you, Jim, one of the most beautiful places I've ever laid eyes upon. It is this, this valley up in the mountains of the Olympic National Park. And at this time of year in May, the snowmelt was coming off of the cliffs, and there were probably a dozen just huge waterfalls pouring off the cliffs. And the river is like this light turquoise blue. There's lots of fresh growth, and it's just a spectacular scene. The sun setting behind the mountains, sort of just bathing everything in this yellow light. It was incredible. It sounds incredible. Yeah. And I didn't set more than maybe, you know, 10 feet into the area when I saw across the campground a big giant black bear sniffing around. All right. So let me, I'm going to stop your roll here. What goes through your mind? You know, you're going to see bears, but now you've actually seen one and it's not that far away. Yeah. I was excited to tell you the truth because I really wanted to get a picture of a black bear. So I immediately took my pack off and took out my telephoto lens. My camera was already over my shoulder, as it always is. And so I changed lenses really quickly and started taking pictures of it. 
It was far enough away that it wasn't too concerning. But it started to just circle the campground. And as it did, me and another backpacker who was already there started kind of circling on the other side. So we were kind of like 12 o'clock and a 6 o'clock on a clock and just constantly circling each other and trying to keep our distance because this bear was just walking around the campground, sniffing around for some food. You know, I don't think it found anything, but it's a bear. It's got to look. It's doing its thing. And we know as long as we don't mess with it, it's going to be fine. But immediately I thought, thank God I have that bear can. The whole time I was Mm -hmm. thinking, do I need this thing really? You know, it's so much weight. I was just really complaining in my head about it for the last couple hours. But as soon as I saw the bear, I thought, no, this is definitely necessary to bring along. So the bear didn't pose any problems. And I had a really nice evening there, rested my feet, set up my tent alongside the river. There's an old chalet there. It's boarded up now, but it just makes it for another beautiful part of that scenery. And watch the sunset. I've seen that photo that you've taken of the old chalet there in the valley. I mean... We'll make sure that's in the show notes too, but it's a pretty incredible view. It's incredible. And I just had such a a nice night. I woke up the next morning bright and early because I needed to hike back down the other 13 and a half miles back to the trailhead. And this is where I realized why people were making those comments to me because my feet were killing me. It was a beautiful morning again, the sun coming up the other way and the valley being bathed in golden light once again. And it was incredible. And I really made sure to take a moment to soak it all in because by, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock, I was back on the trail with my heavy pack on my feet headed the other way. I'm not going to lie to you, Jim. It was tough. I was trudging along all morning. My knees were killing me. My feet were dying. And I was just trying to keep my spirits up as best as I possibly could going back down this trail. But about maybe four or five miles in, as I'm walking along, taking pictures, I see this this small grouse who kind of trots up beside the trail and perches itself on top of a log. And I think to myself, oh, wow, that's great. This grouse has walked up right to me. I take my camera and I get a couple pictures. And I'm like, hey, cool. Thanks, grouse, for, you know, coming up and, (laughs) you know, hanging out. I appreciate it. And I move to leave to continue down the trail. And the grouse jumps off the log and stands right in my way. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But, like, I got to go. So, like, shoo. You know, and I, I start walking towards it. And the grouse flaps at me. It jumps off the ground and starts attacking my leg. And, like, I expected to have trouble with black bears. Like, that was my big concern in this trip. And all of a sudden now, like, I'm being attacked by a grouse. What do you even do when you're attacked by a grouse? No one teaches you that in, like, survival (laughs) skills. It'd be oddly specific if if, if they did. (laughs) So I just start, like, you know, kicking at it with my leg that it's attacking, you know, and just kind of yelling at it, like, hey, cut it out. Get out of here, you know? Because what else can you do? And I eventually get in front of it and start walking down the trail. And I turn around and it is, I swear to you, it is chasing me down the trail, trotting its little legs about as fast as it can and, you know, flying when it can. And so I'm like, I guess I need to run away from this thing. So my, (laughs) on my poor, tired, like sore feet, my big giant pack, I'm like jogging as quickly as I can down this trail as this grouse is chasing me with all of its, you know, anger or power or whatever is going through its head. And it wasn't until I crossed a stream that the grouse stopped chasing me. And I stopped and took my pack off and just started like panting and trying to rest because what little energy I had was all immediately sapped by this angry little grouse. 
Oh, and about did you in? How much did you have left to go? I think I probably had another eight miles to go. Oh, my. <laughs> I had to guess. It was pretty early in the morning when the grouse attacked. I found out later that there are some grouse in the woods there that mate that time of year. Uh, oh. And you can hear all of the male grouse making their noises. And I saw a few on the trail later. And I found out that the female grouse, once they lay their eggs, they find a, a secure place to do it, like a log, for example. And so my thought is that I had come up next to that log and stood there and t- taken pictures. And the mother grouse is like, what are you doing? This is my nest. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so she chased me away, rightfully so. So, I mean, that's a lesson I learned is that, you know, in mating season, don't mess with the mama grouses. That is not where I expected this story to go. <laughs> no. At all. No. You know, I walked for those final eight miles down the trail and I think by about, you know, one or two o'clock or so, or around noon maybe, I finally limped my way back to the trailhead, just dying. It was one of those, you've probably experienced this, it was one of those end of hikes where like every half mile I'm sitting down, take a break, and just like trying to get my feet at rest because I've hit my limit for how much I can walk at this point. And you're just trying to get back by any means necessary. Exactly. So I did, and it turned out okay. But man, I sure learned a lot about wildlife on this one quick overnighter to the Enchanted Valley. Well, I had no idea that your story about bears and a valley known for them was going to take a a turn toward (laughs) grouse, for one thing. And, you know, what I appreciate is that you take your trips, many of them, as a reporter. So you didn't just have this one-off encounter with a grouse. You learned why that encounter happened and presumably what maybe to do or not to do next time around. I'm still not sure, like, if someone wants to say, like, oh, can you give me advice on what to do if you're attacked by a grouse? I still don't think I could really give any advice on that because it seems like such a crazy situation. And, like, I didn't want to hurt the thing. Of course. I mean, I wasn't about to, like, shoot it. But, you know, I also was trying to, like, protect myself against this wild animal that was attacking me. That's fair. And Probably there are not many other people out there having similar encounters, one would have to imagine. I do like to imagine that that grouse just kind of sat there, and anytime someone walked by, it like menacingly ran after them. <laughs> it's <laughs> no. like, this is my spot. It's my turf, Don't man. mess with me. Get out of here. So before we move on, just a note about the Enchanted Valley. Was it worth it? 26 miles, I think you said, over two days with a heavy pack? Would you do it again? I would say totally. It was totally worth it. Although next time I go, I'm going to just tack an extra night in there so I can spend like a full day at the Enchanted Valley, walking around, exploring a little bit more. Because that's the one thing. I got there in the evening and I left in the morning, so I didn't really get a chance to explore the valley very much. So I would say just tack on an extra night, give yourself a little bit of rest, and that I think would help enormously. But it's a beautiful spot, and I would recommend everybody who does backpacking to get up there at some point in their lives because honestly it's one of the most beautiful places i've seen in the pacific northwest and that's saying something because you've seen a lot of the pacific northwest so well jamie that was a really cool story maybe a little bit more fun than mine i don't know now i'm second guessing <laughs> my choice in the story well we've got plenty more time to tell stories jim that's true i guess the first campfire story is not always the best one it's like the first pancake you know what i mean Ooh, i like that because i you know i'm not that stoked on my delivery i think i could have played it a little bit better <laughs> Maybe you chosen a different topic. I don't know, but you rocked your story. I'm already excited for round two. Maybe uh, I'll search for something a little bit more uplifting, if you will. Get some, uh, some more wildlife in there. Yeah, I think that's where we'll go for round number two 
epic encounters with wildlife. I got more animal stories, Jim. I'll tell you. You've got some, and I've already got one that's coming to mind. So, Jamie, how can folks, if they have a good story, how can they get that story to us? Well, like we said, folks can call our podcast hotline, a name I really do like, and leave us a voicemail at 503-221-4345. Or you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcasts, that's with an S, at oregonian.com. And I like that. Keep it about three minutes or less, and we can maybe play a few of them here on a future episode. I like that. Well, until a future episode, Jamie, folks can subscribe to Peak Northwest wherever they get their podcasts. Watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Dave Killen. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Until next time, we'll leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.